If you can't get out of it, get into it. Do one thing every day that scares you. Whatever you are, be a good one. If you can dream it, you can achieve it. Whoever said stuff like this never lived my life, or they would know this was deadly advice. This is Allie Daniels. You're listening to Antimony. Episode 6, Crushed Yellow Crazy Ants. This is Dr. Kaleo's office, right? That's her name on the door. Enter. Delani, Kaya, take a seat. I glanced around her office as if the decor might hold a clue about why she wanted to see us. On the wall were several framed diplomas and glossy photographs of Dr. Kaleo receiving awards and shaking hands with men and women in academic garb. A black and white photo showed her in a fitted sequined evening gown addressing a group of people seated at linen-covered banquet tables. The hairstyles and the people's clothing looked old-fashioned, but elegant. The tables held the remains of a fancy dinner, uncorked champagne bottles, half-filled crystal flutes, partially eaten slices of layered cake, and crumpled linen napkins. To Dr. Kaleo's right, looking on with admiration, was Dr. Grigori. A label on the frame read, London Duophysite Society Annual Meeting Awards. There was a date, but it looked like 1881. I thought maybe I needed to get my eyes checked again. I want to talk with you about your experience with the votives in class. Several members of your class had similar experiences, but the two of you may have gifts that are particularly valuable. Both of you may be what we in the field refer to as sensitives. Sensitives exhibit certain phenomena when they come in contact with materials that have been imbued with some form of communication. That is, if contact is made by a sensitive, an object may convey information held within it. For instance, your votives began to glow when you touched them, correct? Yes. This means you may have the ability to unlock the message that has been trapped or embedded in the item. Someone put a message into the rocks? All solids conduct sound. Some are better conductors than others and are frequently used for that purpose. Think of the copper wiring used in old-fashioned telephone lines, for instance. Cork is an example of a substance that is a poor conductor of sound, but some materials absorb sound. 
Sure, that's why you carpet wooden stairs or why libraries can be so quiet with all those books soaking up the sound. Yes, and some materials absorb sound and hold it until it can be unlocked by a sensitive. Sensitives are very important. If one could unlock the sound, say, of people talking, absorbed over time by an object, one could, with the help of an interpreter, begin to piece together the script and sounds that would help us recover the meaning of languages so far untranslatable, even very ancient languages now long lost. Think of the contribution that would make to our understanding of the development of life and culture on Earth. I felt giddy. I wasn't sure how we would get from a glowing stone pig to translating ancient scrolls or tablets, but unusual sensations were welling up within me and they felt good. It took a moment for me to recognize them. They were happiness and hope and pride. Of course, there is more for Kaya to do. There goes my pride balloon. As I stated, it seems the two of you are potential sensitives. We are more certain about Delani. Kaya, your potential must be honed. Are you willing to undergo discernment? Discernment? The discernment process will be described to you in more detail, but you must sign this release in order to be part of this important project. Your participation also voids the necessity of you having to pass the school's required swim test. GYSP will provide the necessary waiver. Use this pen, a masterpiece among the first ink pens ever made from the year 970 CE, crafted to the specifications of the Caliph of Maghreb in Northwest Africa. It should feel a pleasure to make your signature. Oh, it was. The ink flowed smoothly. It had the pungent odor of formic acid, a scent shared by ink, the hairs of stinging nettles, and the crushed bodies of yellow crazy ants. So, Dr. Kaleo, there's nothing I need to do? Delani, your work on the mantis shrimp's cavitation process is of the utmost importance, and we expect it will be where you make your greatest contribution. Discernment, in your case, is unnecessary. And yes, we will provide the swim test waiver for you as well. Dr. Kaleo looked at me. She must have noticed the flash of envy on my face. Delani had her special shrimp project or whatever and was all set, but I needed extra work. Kaya, focus on yourself. Do not let your perceptions of others get in the way of your own advancement. My assistant will collect your forms. <gasps> Xanthi is my research assistant for this project, and she will manage Kaya's process in the Dream Lab. Platypus! <laughs> Looks like I'll be getting to know all about you. Welcome to the Chemistry Lab. Goggles and gloves on. Zia, here are yours. Josh, Neith, some for you. Delani and Kaya, got yours? Okay, let's get to work. We followed Rachel into her realm. One of the benefits of this program for her was lab time and materials to conduct her own experiments. She could help herself to anything in the supply cabinets as long as she promised not to blow up the building or set it on fire. Antimony gets its name not alone, from the fact that its pure form isn't found in nature. It's always combined with something else, like copper, lead, or silver. 
What's great is that here we have the pure stuff to play with. She motioned to the counter where containers of various sizes had silvery crystals and pellets. I picked up a chunk of the glistening substance from a plate and held it between my thumb and forefinger. Pretty. We're going to do some things to some antimony and see what happens. Stand back for this one. I'm just going to put a couple of these little crystals into this stone bowl. People in Enoch's time would use a mortar and pestle like this for grinding things. Let's see what happens when we crush some antimony. Just that little bit made a big bang. Yeah, and I was just grinding it by hand. Can you imagine what a large amount would do with some real pressure? Have you heard of Greek fire? Yeah, a weapon. Liquid that burned even on water. The Byzantines used it, fired it in pots from ships. Their enemies didn't stand a chance. It was so deadly, people made a pact to stop using it so the human race would continue. And everyone who knew how to make it was sworn to secrecy. Modern chemists have guessed, though, that it was probably some combinations of antimony, crude oil, and potassium nitrate, which is used in fireworks. There's an ancient legend that says an angel showed the Emperor Constantine how to make it around the year 305, just before he started to rule the Roman Empire. What if a fallen angel revealed it even earlier? Next, let's see what happens if we heat it. No, we're not making Greek fire. I heated some in the kiln. It's been cooling for a while, but the antimony will still be semi-liquid. She pulled out a small dark metal container that looked like a pan for making tiny cakes for a doll's house. She brought it over to the counter and placed it on a hot pad. Let's see what happens as it, as it becomes a solid again. We watched as a silvery scum formed on the top. As it cooled, it made a tinkling sound, like fine silver bells being rung. Lovely. I imagine angels' wings making that sound when they flutter. So what do we know so far? Well, antimony has been used for different things continuously since ancient times. It keeps replacing itself as a valuable commodity. It's decorative, but it's also dangerous. You can paint your eyes, but you can also blow things up with it and start fires that are impossible to put out. It makes a beautiful sound. It's mentioned as a heavenly secret, revealed by fallen angels to humans, something they weren't supposed to find out, but did. It's been used for some good purposes, but also for a lot of destructive things. And our ethics teacher wants us to think of this as a good thing for some reason. And don't forget, the GFH Corporation owns the majority of production in the world. And if they stop production, everyday life as we know it grinds to a halt. Oh, and it's medicinal in very small quantities, but too much can kill you. Rachel, you mentioned the other day that you wanted to know more about that aspect. Me too. I should probably tell you the reason I'm interested in antimony as medicine. For about a year now, I've been taking small doses of it. I was getting really bad headaches. A specialist my parents sent me to gave me these pills and told me to keep quiet about it. Of course, I didn't want to put some mystery substance from a stranger into my body without more information. 
so I ran some tests. It was antimony. I figured if I kept the doses small, I would be all right, and taking the pills makes me feel better instantly. So far, so good, but I've had to increase my dosage to keep the effects. You're not alone. <laughs> That's funny. I'm not joking. Oh, I get it. I think I take it too. I opened my locket and took a couple of granules out and showed them to Rachel. Headaches. A doctor gave them to me, then disappeared. My specialist vanished too. Everyone but Neith nodded. I'm so relieved. I had no idea what it was, but it helps, you know. Whew! I'm glad I don't have to keep it a secret anymore. And we know where we can get more. While the others laughed with relief, I had a strange feeling about asking Rachel for more antimony. I was running low, but having to ask her for help felt like one more way I was inadequate around here. Was there some way I could just sneak some now? With so much on the countertop, no one would miss it if I just took some. I was just about to see if I could reach for some undetected when Rachel started putting the various containers away with help from Josh and Zia. I have a personal interest in learning more about this element, but it's Dr. Grigori who told me working on antimony would be my special project during the program. He promised me some huge, mysterious reward if I can figure out a way to synthesize it. Make it artificially? Why? They control all the mines. I'm not sure. Maybe they think making it would be easier than mining it. Maybe they just want more of it. Maybe there's a reason they need more of it, beyond just wanting to make tons of money. Think about it. All of us, except Neith, depend on it. That can't be a coincidence. What if it's not just some GYSP students, but GYSP faculty, including Dr. Grigori, who take it too? They might be desperate to find ways to get more or make more as well as wanting to control the world. I suddenly remembered Xanthi in the coffee shop, taking a pill after she reapplied her perfume. I wonder if Xanthi takes it. Something is wrong with her. You mean her smell? I've noticed it too. Whatever is happening with her, it's bad. When I was in her room, I did see a little cup, like one of those antimony cups Vinton told us about. I thought it was just an antique, an odd keepsake. Maybe she uses it to get antimony, to make herself feel better, not to make herself get sick, you know? So it makes some people sick, but other people well? Yes. That could have something to do with the dose, or maybe something to do with the person who takes it, and why they take it. I'm definitely going to keep working on this. I don't know why the Gregorys are so interested, but I know I won't always have access to this much antimony. And I can't imagine being without my pills. I should show you one more thing. She went back to the cupboard and pulled out a dark cylinder about a foot tall and four inches in diameter, wrapped in an old piece of paper. Rachel removed the paper and showed it to us. A drawing of silver crystals like one of the samples Rachel had shown us was at the top of the page. A paragraph was written below, but I couldn't recognize the words or even the letters. Neith, do you know what this is? No idea, sorry. Looks like a page removed from an old book. The container it's wrapped around looks very new. I lifted the paper, sniffed it, and picked up the faintest odor of something like 
chlorine and vinegar. Rachel set the cylinder down gingerly on the countertop and backed away from it slightly. I can't believe they have this here and it's not under heavy security. This kind of cylinder was developed for holding super dangerous substances. Inside is fluoroantimonic acid. It's a super acid made with antimony. She was looking at the container like she was somewhere between awe and terror, like someone had given her the keys to a NASCAR race car and said, take it out for a spin if you want, see what it will do, or maybe take it for a drive through a crowded parking lot. It's the world's strongest known acid. This one cylinder holds enough to eat through the floor and the four floors beneath us and way down into the sewer system before we could call lab security for cleanup. Why on earth would the Gregorys leave this stuff lying around? We were quiet, each of us trying to put pieces together of a puzzle that we didn't have a picture for, but were seriously beginning to worry about what it might show. My fingers trembled as I twisted the doorknob and shuffled into the dream lab. I was trying my best to follow the mantra, if you can't get out of it, get into it. But I was scared, especially since I didn't actually know what it was. Dr. Kaleo said that undergoing the dream lab procedure, discernment, would sharpen my gift. But I didn't like going into things blind, especially things that sounded medical and involved unconsciousness. Would it hurt? Worse, would it be embarrassing? Would they be able to tell what I was dreaming about? I stepped into the pleasant room with sage-colored walls and soft, warm lighting. My feet sunk into the oriental carpet as I crossed over to the desk where Xanthi sat behind a computer monitor and a short stack of clipboards. Oh, there you are. Don't be nervous. I'm sure nothing extraordinary will happen to you. Oh, thanks. Have a seat and fill out the form. They'll call you when they're ready for you. You'll love the snacks before the procedure and the music they play is awesome. Nothing you've ever heard before, but you'll adore how calm it makes you feel. Her perfume clung to the clipboard and pen she had given me. It smelled wonderful, even if a little overwhelming, like vanilla frosting with hints of mandarin and apricot. My stomach rumbled. I was suddenly hungry, until I caught Xanthi's underlying odor of old barbecue coals and ammonia. I put the clipboard to my nose for another shot of yummy dessert smell and took a seat in one of the red velvet wing-backed chairs. I looked around the waiting room. Ilona, a quiet GYSP student from Hungary, was sitting down and hunched over her form, checking boxes. Light streamed in the window behind the desk where Xanthi sat. On the wall to my right was a large painting that covered most of the length of the small waiting room, the subject was the Annunciation when the Archangel Gabriel told Mary that God wanted her to give birth to Jesus. In the painting, an angel on bended knee holds a stem of white lilies and extends his hand in a gesture of blessing toward Mary, who sits behind an ornate reading desk. The artist caught the angel on the cusp of motion. It looked like the angel was conjuring a blessing making a physical object rather than a wish he might throw across the distance separating himself from Mary. 
Mary holds a manuscript open with one hand. The other is raised and open, indicating surprise. Her open hand is poised at the same level as the angel's, as if Mary is ready either to receive his blessing or repel it. Her next action might be to cup her hand and look at what she caught from him, or to fling it back. Thanks, but no thanks. A label affixed to the wall below the painting read, The Annunciation by Leonardo da Vinci From the Uffizi? I filled out my form. Standard stuff. Name, age, birth date, weight, allergies. Curious stuff. What and when I last ate. Favorite smells. Stuff related to sleep. Do I typically remember my dreams? Do I sleep on my stomach, side, or back? Ever sleepwalk? A tall, slim woman in a white nurse's outfit, including white shoes, white hose, and an old-fashioned white nurse's hat, appeared in the open door near the reception desk. As she stood, framed in the darkened doorway, she looked like another painting, this one of a pale, wingless angel ready to summon people to some dark new world. Let's see. We have two students today, Kaya and Alona. Come with me, both of you. Bring your things. We went to the door. I looked back at Xanthi, who mouthed, Don't worry, at me, and shooed me with her hands toward the nurse. The nurse took our clipboards and looked them over quickly. Okay, Kaya, you go through that door. Alona, you come with me this way. I wondered why Alona got an escort while I just got a wave. I pushed open the door and found myself in a changing room full of tall wooden lockers with plush bathrobes hanging from hooks. No, wait. Oh, I am so sorry. Kaya, you come with me. She pulled Alona into the changing room and spoke to the attendant I hadn't yet had time to notice. It is Alona who is supposed to be in this program, not Kaya. So sorry. Oh, that would have been awkward. Very awkward indeed. What would have been awkward? Uh, we have two programs underway right now. I'm assigned to the discernment process, uh, the one you're in. I'm not assigned to the generating process. So if I sent you there by mistake, they would be very upset with me. What does generating process mean? Like dream production? That's quite enough, nurse. Leave Kaya with me. I'll take it from here. A brunette woman in a navy blue suit held out her arm to me. Given the sharpness of her voice, I was surprised how gently she put her arm around my shoulder, then guided me farther into a cozy room with a beautiful canopy bed, a small wooden table with a lamp burning a soft, warm light, and a coat tree with pretty nightgowns and flannel shirts and pants hanging on ornate hooks. A large gold frame mirror hung on one wall. I could smell chocolate and lavender, aromas that made me relax just a little. Kaya, you may wear a nightgown or pajamas or stay in your jeans and sweatshirt, however you feel most at home. If you would like to change, please step behind that screen, since the mirror is actually a window through which you will be watched throughout the night to make sure you are safe and comfortable. 
She pointed out a mug of hot cocoa and some chocolate truffles on the bedside table. The small stone pig I had handled in Dr. Kaleo's class was next to the mug. For good luck, your votive is here. Think of it as your talisman. The hot cocoa is made using Marie Antoinette's favorite recipe. <laughs> Let her drink hot chocolate. You do not have to brush your teeth afterward if you do not feel like it. It will not hurt you to fall asleep with the pleasant taste of the world's most expensive chocolate in your mouth. Go ahead and change, or not. Get under the covers, and I'll be back in a moment to tell you all about the wonders in store for you tonight. I decided I would go ahead and change into one of the beautiful pajama sets. I figured if I needed to make a run for it, at least I would be climbing out a window or racing down the hallway in better clothing than I was wearing when I got here. I plucked a navy blue pajama set off the coat tree and changed behind the screen, folding my own clothes into a tidy bundle I could grab in a hurry if necessary. I kept my socks on and tucked my shoes just under the bed. The flannel was soft and cool. The sheets felt like smooth, silky, soft liquid, like the powdery gloss of a butterfly's wing. I had touched one once when a monarch had landed on my arm. I stroked its wing as it rested there, mistaking me for some safe perch. But I felt terribly guilty when the friend who was with me said, Now it won't be able to fly. You've changed it forever. I pulled the covers over myself and felt my anxiety melt away as my body started to feel the delicious heaviness of drifting off into sleep. Nurse Bereth returned. Relaxing already? Good for you. You are in for a very good night's sleep. I wanted to resist, even just a little bit, after working myself up into such a state of worry about what was turning out to be really quite pleasant. I grasped for something to protest or question. Music? Just as I uttered the word, a woman's clear voice started a chant. I couldn't understand the words or be certain they weren't just syllables. Crystal clear bells or chimes accompanied the voice, ringing at the end of phrases. Xanthi was right. It was beautiful. It reminded me of a sound I had heard recently, but I couldn't quite place it, and it was receding into the background as I began to feel very drowsy. Is the volume all right? I nodded and covered my mouth as a deep yawn welled up in me. I was getting so sleepy I wasn't even going to get to drink the hot chocolate, which seemed like a huge waste. Now... Before you drop off, I just have to attach a couple of small electrodes. What? No need for concern. She held up three tiny circles, each no bigger than the eraser of the end of a pencil, attached to small squares, like band-aids with a gray dot in the middle. These are wireless and will transmit information. They simply allow us to monitor your vitals, pulse, breathing, blood oxygen levels. I felt a small wave of relief. The slight adrenaline surge I had felt a moment ago subsided, 
leaving me even more sleepy than before. Here, you can put them on yourself. She pointed to two spots, on the right and left of my ribcage, and one at the top of my right hand. I peeled the adhesive backing off the squares and stuck them in place. But they do something for you, too. Sensors in the electrodes allow you to change your dreams as you want to. If you're having a dream you do not like, the device heightens your brain's ability to alter your own experience, like flipping the channel or changing to a different app. What does this have to do with discernment? We want to see if your brain has any additional resources to help you manage your dreams. You may have gifts that, if you learn to tap into them at will, would be of great benefit to you. From the electrode monitoring, we will be able to tell if any changes you make in your dreams bring you positive feelings or not. And I promise it will not hurt a bit. If you need anything, just ring this bell. She picked up a little bell off the nightstand. The room had already become a field of butterflies around me as I heard a faint, bright chime and a woman's clear voice singing from a cloud that was passing overhead and growing fainter and fainter. Don't do it. Please don't. I can't stand it when someone tells me their dreams. It's always so boring, no matter what they dreamed about. I know, I know. Just listen for a second. I promise I won't go through all the details. Aren't you even a little curious? Okay, go ahead. Get it over with. Tell me about how real you thought everything was, but then you woke up and discovered it was all just a dream. I did have all those weird anxiety dreams, you know, in class and realizing I'm just wearing underwear and so far no one else seems to notice. Late for class, can't find my paper, running but getting nowhere. Uh-huh. But here's what was different. Nurse Bereath was telling the truth. I could change my dreams. Instead of just waking up in a cold sweat, I was able to change what was going on. I stopped. Something about this was suddenly hanging out at the fringe of my memory, like the presence of a character I hadn't noticed was in the scene until just now. What do you mean, change what was going on? I mean, I was standing in front of the class when I noticed I was pretty much naked. But instead of panicking, I thought, I need clothes. And suddenly I was fully clothed and actually looked great. The little glimmer of something I had forgotten waved at me again like a moth fluttering in front of a candle flame, making it flicker. What was it? Well, that is a little interesting. Is that it? Wait a second. There's something important I can't quite put my finger on. Something else was in my dream. Okay, I should go study. No, wait, please. I tried to imagine the scene again, worried I would forget my dream before I captured whatever was hovering at the edge of my consciousness. In the dream, I stood in front of my class at school. I noticed I am wearing only my plain white Hanes, cotton briefs and bra. Of course, it would be something dumpy. Even in my dreams, I'm uninteresting. I'm trying to explain something about volcanoes or something... And I suddenly realize 
I'm wearing only my boring underwear. A lump of panic rises in my throat. My ears start to burn. I try to cover myself with my hands. I want to run, but I know if I make any sudden moves, I'll only draw more attention to myself. Any second now, someone will notice and laughter will erupt. I think, I want to be dressed. Suddenly, I'm wearing gorgeous jeans, a beautiful blouse, and fantastic stacked heels. I look around the room as I continue to talk about the formation of volcanoes. Where is this stuff coming from? And then I noticed her. In the last desk, in the farthest row, a girl from my class is hunched over with her arms wrapped around herself, face red, wearing only her underwear. I've taken her clothes or transferred them to myself somehow. What's wrong? I know what happened, how it got fixed. In my dream, I take someone else's clothes, not by force or anything, but when my problem is solved, it's at someone else's expense. Sounds like you're just working out some guilty conscience issues. Maybe, but if that's true, I feel worse now, not better. I really do need to go study. I'm glad the dream lab was okay, even if right now you're feeling weird about it. Thanks. I watched Delani walk away while my mind went back to my dreams. What else had gotten fixed in my dreams and how? I knew I had to remember fast before things completely faded. Avoiding my tablet, I grabbed a piece of paper and jotted down what I could remember, what I had dreamt, what problem I had fixed or situation I had changed. Each time, I had the feeling I missed some person hovering at the edge, someone else involved whom I hadn't noticed at first glance. As I went over my dreams, I realized each one had the same disturbing feature. Someone else took my place. As I reviewed, I realized that with each dream, my complicity got worse. In the first, the underwear dream, I just wished for clothes and got someone else's. But in the second, I was being chased through a forest. I ran as fast as I could, barely steps ahead of my pursuer, an amorphous, dark, hooded shape I knew would kill me if it got close to me. I came to a clearing, but the only way ahead was straight off a cliff into a whirlpool below. I faced death from the evil presence chasing me or by plunging into the chasm filled with swirling water. I teetered at the edge, terrified, but just then I felt a small child's hand take mine. I looked down at her, a young girl with long blonde hair. She looked up at me, then back at the thing chasing me. It was just about to reach us. Shall I go instead? she asked. Yes, I breathed. You go, not me. She leapt, arms outstretched, greeting her own certain extinction. The hooded presence stopped behind me, put an icy arm around me, and it felt refreshing. Together, we watched her tiny body plummet into the water and get sucked down out of sight. In the last dream, I was drowning. I was in deep water, thrashing, panicking, gasping for breath. My arms and legs were so tired, and I kept gulping salt water. 
Suddenly, a life ring was extended to me. I grabbed hold, but someone else was holding on too. I couldn't see who it was, and I didn't care. The small red rubber circle was half submerged, and I knew we couldn't both cling to it and stay on the surface of the water. So I reached out one arm and pushed against the other person, who must have been the one trying to save me, sharing this one hope of refuge. With the last of my strength, I pushed the other person's head underwater. I could feel the person's tangled locks in my hand, see how they spread as I held the struggling person's head beneath the water. Finally, no more fight, just two hands releasing their grip on the ring. The person's head tilted back for just one moment before sinking down into the water. It was Delani. I thought back to what happened when I woke up in the dream lab. Nurse Bereath came in and asked how I felt. I told her I felt really good, refreshed. She told me I could take off the electrodes. But when I went to peel the little square off my right hand, I realized I was clutching the votive in my left. My fist was curled tightly around it. I can take that from you now. You may let go. I gave the little stone object to her and felt a pang of loss. I didn't even remember picking it up, and now I felt sad to part with it. How did I do? You show great promise. Here, you can see on your printout from our monitoring of you. See how this line spikes three times? Then, after each... The line slopes back down toward the bottom of the page. You must have had three significant dream events. Each time, you resolved them in a way that brought you relaxation, even pleasure. Well done, Kaya. We want you to return next week for one more session. I didn't want to be that person. What if I was that person? I wanted to throw up. I wanted to scrub off in a really hot shower. I wanted to know if I really had to go back and why I sort of wanted to. The specifics of the return visit were slid under my door later that day on one of the now familiar creamy white GYSP note cards. Dear Kaya, return to the Dream Lab Friday evening at 2000 hours for your follow-up appointment and the opportunity to learn more about your family. Nurse Bereath, GYSP Dream Lab Coordinator. If you can't get out of it, get into it. Do one thing every day that scares you. Whatever you are, be a good one. If you can dream it, you can achieve it. Whoever said stuff like this never lived my life, or they would know this was deadly advice. That night, Delani, Josh, Neith, Zia, Rachel, and I met in the library to try and figure out more about the Eliad. It might provide a clue about what the kids in the video were so afraid of. Since our encounter with Dr. Danush in the library stairwell, we figured it was time to move out of the main reading room and onto an upstairs floor where fewer people might be around to overhear us. 
I really didn't like the dim lighting and translucent floors up there, and I wasn't sure we were completely alone. What do we know so far? We know that in this program, they take that Enoch story very seriously, as if it's real, as in literally true, as in there are such things as Nephilim. Oh, yeah. Dr. Eater was all over you taking the Nephilim seriously. He was all, oh, Kaya, you understand, Kaya. Kaya, look deep into my crystal eyes and see into my soul, you who understand the Nephilim. (laughs) Dr. Eater does have weird eyes, don't you think? What if they are real? The Nephilim, I mean. In the story, they don't get wiped out. They even have children, those Eliud, whoever that is. Look at this. It fell out of a book Miss Hermione asked me to get for Dr. Grigori. The the book is in rare books and documents vault in the basement. It was a first edition called Gregor Mendel, Experiments in Hybridization. I recognize the words Nephilim and Eliud. It's written in German, so uh, Neith, we'll need you to translate. Okay, uh, let me look up a couple of things. <clears throat> Here goes. Monastery of St. Peter, Budapest, Hungary. August 2nd, 1866. My My dear dear brother brother Gregor, I write this letter in haste. haste, With sincere apologies for the lack of formality and imprecision that urgency necessitates. My fondest wish is that I am mistaken in my sense of the danger that drives me to put ink to paper and write to you now. I hope that someday we may once again sit in your garden, surrounded by your beloved snapdragons and sweet peas, and discuss openly our experiments in the leisurely and patient manner with which scientific exploration is best conducted. If there is one consolation in writing to you, it is for the opportunity to assure you that your research has not gone unnoticed. I know that the melancholia to which you are inclined may once again have settled upon you following the reading of your brilliant paper at the Berno Society meetings last year. What an impact your research should have made. I expected your work to take root immediately or to pollinate new research in addition to your own. You must feel like a solitary gardener who alone notices the growth and vibrancy of the plants you have so meticulously tended. Ah, my dear brother, you see how I long to converse with you and to offer you encouragement and how even the thought of such luxuries as face-to-face conversation with you puts my anxiety at bay and grants me the illusion of serenity and unlimited time. Illusion it is, alas. To my task I return. My consolation, someone is paying attention to the work you have done. Although I write of someone in the singular, he cannot be alone. The number of eyes I feel upon me and the manifold signs of being observed are too great for one individual. However, and this is my point, someone is aware of the implications of your work on hybridization. You are aware, I believe, that I have now applied your work with plants, showing how the dominant and recessive traits of parents are passed to each of their hybrid offspring to the mating of watchers and humans recorded in First Enoch. We have long wondered what would happen to subsequent generations if Nephilim produced children with humans. Would Nephil traits become diluted? 
Could offspring appear to be human yet have nephil traits? If so, when would those traits become manifest? When we last met in person, you urged me not to embark upon such research due to its speculative nature. And speculative it was, my dear Gregor, at the time. I hope you will forgive me for saying so, but I am glad I did not listen to you. For since that time, I have been presented with the opportunity to examine actual remains of fourth-generation angelic-human hybrids. My dear brother, now I imagine you adding concern that I add desecration of the dead to my sin of speculation. However, I assure you that following my examinations, I will entreat the abbot for permission to see that these unfortunate creatures receive proper burial. Although I do not know if they may be interred in consecrated ground, they are enabling me to further important research that touches on subjects related to Holy Scripture. Surely the fact will arouse some compassion in our abbot. The point is that I can now test to see if my speculation was in fact pointing to reality. My preliminary work shows that in addition to noting your dominant and recessive traits, we must pursue the possibility that angelic and human traits may be blended in equal or near equal proportion, creating beings of unusual beauty and powers, both deleterious and beneficent. With the arrival of the hybrid creatures, about which I cannot say more here for fear of endangering your life as well, came also someone who watches me. Were we not in a monastery, I would swear to you that this person a novice in the order is a woman, and that our monk's garb is keeping her identity a secret from others. What I am certain of is that this supposed novice shows more interest in my researches than in being formed in the way of the community, learning our prayers, tending to the work the abbot requires. The novice goes by the name of Brother Itzel. Itzel! The name means shadow, and how fitting that is. On more than one occasion, I have spied this shadow coming out of the laboratory in a furtive manner, the laboratory being quite off-limits to him. I wondered if he had seen the hybrids or tampered with them in some way. They are kept under lock and key, and only a few trusted brothers have access to them. Complaints to the abbot have not curtailed this man's surreptitious activity. The abbot, I fear, thinks I am developing the paranoia that sometimes comes with being too long cloistered, and merely urged me to go attend another conference as soon as it is convenient for the Abbey schedule. Yesterday, I confronted Brother Itzel, whom I found leaving my cell with a notebook in hand. In a voice too high for even a young man, this shadow protested that he had taken it by accident, mistaking it for his own left in the chapel following the office of Terse. Why then, I said, it should be your notebook in your hand at this moment. But see, it is mine, brother. Brother, he said, a steely hardness in his treble voice. Do not all monks hold all things in common? Surely your possessiveness is unbecoming to one in your position. He extended the notebook toward me, but held on to it as I grasped it, a strange luminosity in his gray-blue eyes. Be careful, lest your research seem more valuable than your life, he said to me. Then let go of the notebook at last bowed slightly, turned on his heel, and walked confidently down the hall. I am afraid, Brother Gregor. This shadow has been assigned to the infirmary for his occupation within the abbey. 
He will have access to dangerous substances. He is working for someone, Gregor, but I know not for whom or to what end. Only that he is interested in hybridization and resorts to unseemly methods to learn more. For this reason, I have kept my most important notations on my person at all times, until now when I entrust them to you. You alone, Brother Gregor, understand the true import of what, through your tutelage, I study. I send my notations, praying that you will receive them and that you will know what to do with them should something happen to me. Clearly, there is more to be learned following this line of inquiry, and, sadly, at present, it seems dangerous to pursue it. I will do what I can, but do not want to risk the loss of what I have learned so far, or have it fall into the possession of those hands whose nefarious purposes I can only guess at. Enclosed, you will find the annotations I have made concerning First Enoch, I send them by the hand of Brother Morinus, loyal friend and co-laborer. I entrust my life's work to you, my brother, and my soul to my Maker and Redeemer. If I am guilty of iniquity by my research and probing of unburied, unconsecrated hybrid creatures, I commend myself to the Lord's mercy. I have sought only to discover more about the wonders of this created world. Pray for me, your faithful brother, Yosef. Wow, a letter to Gregor Mendel from another monk. Something really weird was going on in his monastery. Uh, read his notes, please. The notes have two columns. See, on the left-hand side is the story from First Enoch. On the right are notes in German. I'll read those. Rachel, will you read the First Enoch parts? Sure. There's a title, Hybridization Amongst Angelic Human Generations, Notes, Probabilities, and Questions for Further Study. First Enoch, these and the others with them took for themselves wives from among them such as they chose, and they begin to go into them. The watchers mate with women. And to defile themselves through them. This will weaken the angelic characteristics and to teach them sorcery and charms, and to reveal to them the cutting of roots and plants. Does the cutting of roots refer to angelic revelation regarding hybridization or genetics? And they conceive from them and bore to them the Nephilim. Angelic traits and human traits are blended. Longevity and Nephilim is probable, but can human and angelic characteristics remain fused, or will duophysite disintegration occur? And to the Nephilim were born Iliad. Necessitates further study. More Eliad remains or living subjects must be found. Some Eliad may demonstrate more human traits and some more Nephilistic. If human traits dominate on both, on both mother and father's sides, child may appear human but carry Nephilistic traits, which may manifest as the child grows. Duophysite disintegration I risk for some Eliad as it is for Nephilim. Engelin wrote a note at the bottom as well. Concerning the Eliad, I found within the hybrids a high concentration of the element antimony. Whether this was the cause of their demise or a treatment for duophysite disintegration, I do not know. I believe it is possible that the cure for angel-human disintegration could be found within the Eliad themselves, some substance that could be harvested. 
Care would need to be taken in experimentation or extraction, lest the Elliot perish and thus be unable to produce more of the curative or pe- preventative substance. And that's where the letter ends. Angon believed that Nephilim and Eliod actually existed. Do we know if Mendel did anything with Angelin's letter? Or if he did any more research? Or what happened to the hybrid creatures or what they were? We know what happened to them. They're Dr. Kaleo's specimens. The mummified children we saw in the museum storage area. They came from Hungary, where Engel's monastery was. Somehow, they ended up with the Nazis. And now their Gregories are studying them. Delani, what was it Dr. Kaleo said? Once given as gifts by an immortal power, can they, even in death, give life? Angelm thought that maybe the Eliod contained something that can help fight against angel-human disintegration, uh, what he calls duophysite disintegration. Duophysite, having two natures. Yes, that's how the mummified children were labeled. The same word was on a photograph in Dr. Kaleo's office. She was addressing the London Duophysite Society annual meeting. Dr. Gregori's in the photo, too. She was receiving some kind of award. Okay, next assignment. Find out what the London Duophysite Society is. What happened to Engel? Does anyone know? Poisoned. Apparently at the time, they thought it was just a severe stomach ailment, some kind of gastric distress, but Brother Morinus, who delivered the letter to Mendel, demanded an autopsy. Large quantities of antimony were found in Engel's system. It could have been delivered as a medicine, dispensed from the infirmary, or someone could have switched his cup for an antimony cup in the refectory. Pewter and antimony look alike. What about Mendel? Did he carry on with the research? We don't know what happened to him, because the abbot who succeeded Mendel after he died of kidney failure... Mendel died of kidney failure? Can antimony do that too? It's possible. After Mendel died... The next abbot had Mendel's greenhouse demolished. Then he burned all of Mendel's papers in a huge bonfire where the greenhouse had stood. It could have been routine housekeeping, out with the old, in with the new kind of stuff, or it could have been jealousy, since Mendel beat him out earlier for the abbot job. I imagined a black-robed abbot ordering the brothers to throw into the flames everything they found in Mendel's cell and laboratory, watching as the leather-bound journals hissed and crackled and papers turned to cinders and ash. But somehow, this one survived. What if this letter was what Dr. Gregori was really looking for, not the book he asked Miss Hermione to get from the library? What if he knew that the book would hold these papers? Who actually knows the letters exist? Shh! Someone is up there. Finally, he's using his hearing on our behalf. Act normally. Okay, see you tomorrow. Uh, Yeah, Uh, good luck with your homework. We each waved and grabbed our stuff to leave. As we dispersed, I inhaled through my nose. Rose petals over vomit. I'm the one who should have been paying more attention. Two feet passed quickly along the floor overhead, taking the smell with them.
This is Allie Daniels. Thank you for listening to Antimony. This podcast was written by Amy Richter and is based on the novel Antimony, published by Whipfenstock, copyright 2019. The novel is available at whipfenstock.com, amazon.com, and other online booksellers. Music for the podcast was composed and arranged by Pan Conrad. You've been listening to the voices of the Silver Linings Players, a group of volunteers from all over the world who came together virtually during the COVID-19 pandemic to record this podcast for you. Episode 6 featured in order of appearance, Lydia Brower as Kaya, Catherine Hilton as Delani, Jenny Ovenstone-Smith as Dr. Kaleo, Lily Kerr-Young as Xanthi, Rachel Hunter as Rachel, Emmett Pro-Richter as Neith, David Merrill as Josh, Aya Fuad as Zia, Phyllis Everett as Nurse Bereith, and Charles Sweet as Brother Joseph. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend and leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts so others can discover Antimony as well. We'll be back in two weeks with Episode 7.